The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Do we need to reinvent the Cardinal way? The Cardinals are 10 games below 500. It's been a really tough year. They're on a nice little roll right now. But is it too little, too late? We're going to go through that with both Ryan Boyer and Drew Silva, who are now with Rotowire right now, coming up on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Hey, everybody, Jeff Erickson here with Drew Silva and Ryan Boyer. We are talking about all things Cardinals today uh, on this podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Network and Home Run Index. Uh, we appreciate their sponsorship and hosting. Uh, fellas, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome to Rotowire. Glad you guys are aboard. You've been doing a lot of great podcasts over the weekend Been doing a lot of great work. Uh, now all of the player note machine that we do. I mean, you guys are old pros at it to begin with. Ryan, you were even with Rotowire at one other point before. So welcome aboard. Thanks for uh, doing this podcast today and uh, ha- happy to have you. That's good to be on. Um, I, 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 Ryan made the point that it's it's a convenient time for you to have us on to talk <laughs> Cardinals. While for the first time in a, in a little while, the Reds are are more toward the top of the standings, and the Cardinals are more toward the bottom of the standings. But it's it's going to be a really interesting trade deadline um, in St. Louis. We I don't, there, I mean, we can talk about like the the history of what's gone on in the bill DeWitt ownership era, but this is a very unique season, what they've been experiencing so far. Absolutely. It's the first losing season in a really long time. Uh, first time they've been certainly been sellers in a really long time. Uh, when, when you're in America's division like this, the NL central, uh, you know, you expect them to kind of compete every single year. I, I thought they were justifiably a heavy favorite going into the season and, you know, it's it's gone sideways and, it you know, went sideways pretty early on that one, first West Coast road trip. Last year, 2007 was the last year that they had a losing record. Probably the last time they did even contemplate being sellers at the trade deadline. Yeah, and it's it's become very apparent relatively early on in the season that it's an organization that's not been used to losing. Just how they've handled things in the media, uh, the whole Wilson Contreras thing. It's just mm-hmm. kind of been a mess. Um, but yeah, they've, they're not used to uh, being this. I mean, 10, you mentioned 10 games below 500 now. It was what, 15, 14, 15. not that long ago. Yeah. They started to reel off a few wins, but, you know, I would be surprised yeah. if uh, they ultimately 
reverse course, Mo, their uh, general manager, president of baseball ops, basically had a 30 minute kind of uh, media gathering recently where he said they want pitching, 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 and they're going to be sellers. So we'll see so if I, they can I like reel to, up. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, I just I, I like to tell like my personal story with the, the Cardinals as it relates to this season and cut me off at any moment if it's boring. But like so I moved to St. Louis in 1996 um, when I was nine or 10 years old. They were in the NLCS that year. Um, so like immediate immediately, like for a 10 year old kid, that's very exciting. And the way that St. Louis embraced the Cardinals, it it, it like you know, it, it, it sunk in deep quickly. And then 97 McGuire arrives and those weren't the best Cardinals teams, but it was obviously very exciting summers in St. Louis to, to watch those home run chases. Pujols arrives in, in 2001. Um, and Derek Gould, the great beat writer for the Post-Dispatch, the Cardinals beat writer, did some math. I think it was last year or two years ago. Um, and in the Buildswit ownership, which started in what, 1995, the Cardinals have been fully out of contention during a season for like 18 days. That's amazing. Like full, fully eliminated. So that's my entire like adult life with being a Cardinals fan. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's been a foundational thing. And then to, to lead up into this season, I knew they needed pitching. It's, it's obviously they needed pitching. Uh, they got by with a lot of luck last year. And what, what Ryan was speaking to, like the, it just seems like there's a weird vibe around, around the team, the Tyler O'Neill stuff, you know, five oh. days into the season, he gets called out by his manager for not hustling on a play where he was thrown up at the plate by Ronald Acuna, who's one of the best players in baseball. And like, you look at Tyler O'Neill, he's not someone who I think of as a, a guy that, that doesn't hustle. Like he's just been bothered by injuries. Um, and then the Wilson Contreras thing, I, there was like a, some kind of disconnect there. Marmol says he's not going to be catching anymore. Moselak comes out and says, well, he is going to be catching eventually, just not for like a week or something. And that lasted about three days. Um, and then the Zach Thompson thing, I think that has kind of flown under the radar. Ryan knows this as a, as a diehard Cardinals fan, but he, he was working in relief. They send him back down to AAA Memphis to get stretched out as a starter. And then randomly, like he doesn't pitch for three weeks before the all-star break and then coming out of the all-star break. And he finally pitched the other day in relief. Um, so they didn't really stretch him out as a starter. It just seems like, I mean, you, you titled this podcast reinventing the Cardinal way. It seems like it's the whole thing has just gone a bit awry and maybe it's because they're not used to having this kind of adversity in, in the standings and they're just they're It's almost like they're panicking. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I go back to it like, what was it three years ago when they, when they did the managerial change out of the blue, uh, to me, that was one of those scenarios like that's not something the Cardinals usually do. Uh, firing a manager is like a power struggle. Uh, they insert Marmol and everyone's like, oh, he's a player's manager. The players are going to be happy about this and all that. And huh, that hasn't gone the way they thought it was going to go. Yeah, and I, I feel like with the with the Tyler O'Neill stuff, uh, none of the beat writers, I don't think, have like come right out and said it. But they've kind of hinted that this wasn't like a one-time thing. Sure. Um, but I don't know. Just watching them play every day, like it, it certainly wasn't apparent to the to the naked eye that he, you know, dogs it. I, I did notice like his sprint speed is down was down this year, but I don't know. 
trying to conserve his his body in an effort to stay healthy. And now, ironically, he's missed like uh, what two months with a with a back issue. Yeah, um, but then like yeah. going going to the mixed messages thing. Now, when they say when he comes back, he's going to be a starting outfielder, and Dylan Carlson's going to be the fourth or fifth outfielder. Like, all right, like what? How do you actually feel about Tyler O'Neill? Are you trying to showcase him for a trade? Is that what it's about? And yeah. Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, and I was just going to ask you, I mean, this is Tyler Neal. He's a guy who's going in the fourth, fifth round of most drafts this year. Uh, and now we're even debating whether he's a starter. Uh, un, you know, and granted, a lot of that's the injury. And But it, it's just starting from there. And I think everybody, you know, had the same point. Okay, sure. O'ne- if you're upset with O'Neal, bench him, fine. But throwing him under the bus like Marvel did, that was the tricky part. And especially it wasn't like, oh, we had talked it out. We're good now. No, you know, and t- O'Neill was pushing back and you know that that's where I you kind of almost wonder like what's going on in that clubhouse is everybody against O'Neill or is everybody against Marmol because you know got to be on one of the one side or the other there and I think we can also discuss the the wisdom of calling out Tyler O'Neill I mean is that the guy that you want to make angry I don't know if you guys have seen Tyler O'Neill before but yeah he's, uh, it's yeah. I, and you know what like the the vibes you know, that I've heard from people is that the players actually really like Ali Marmol. That's probably why he wasn't, they were multiple Sundays, I would say, where it was like, okay, this is when that, that press release is going to, going to hit the inbox, like that they're getting rid of Ali Marmol. Cause there were just so many doldrums in, in the early part of the season. They've been playing a little bit better lately, finally. Um, but that's an interesting thing to talk about as we lead up into this trade deadline as well, because I, Ryan and, I mean, you, you can guide the show here, Jeff, but I, I want them to sell. Like, I, I, I think they have to because I don't think 2024 looks any better with only having Miles Michaelis and Steven Matz as your starters under contract, if you can even call Steven Matz a starter at this point. Um, so I, I think it's it's time to get aggressive and and actually, like, get on one side or the other because the last few trade deadlines, it's like they didn't really know – what to do you know let's bring in a few veteran starters and and hey it worked out they they make the playoffs or they had that 17 game winning streak before Schilt randomly got fired that's another story to the Schilt thing that I, I don't really we still don't really know what happened I think he was demanding a contract extension and that it might, it might have got tense at some point between him and, and Mosellock and the DeWitts um, and you know the the Cardinals probably feel like a lot of teams like the manager's really not that important in modern baseball they can get by with you know a guy that the, that the players just generally like um and and they don't want to pay a guy you know a, a big raise just because he won manager of the year like it's like we don't really need you it was probably the message so ryan do you feel the same way do you want the the cardinals to sell here at the deadline i do yeah drew and i have have talked about this We've traded a few dms about this before i, I think we're both on the same page that at the very least they shouldn't be immediately shutting the door on treating a guy like Paul Goldschmidt. Um, I don't ultimately anticipate that that's ever going to have legs at all. Mosley like kind of said as much the other day, but I mean, he's, you know, in his mid thirties getting a lot there in age, he's only under contract for one more year beyond this season. Like, I, I get it that they want to contend again in 2024, so it, it's not as if they're going to, you know, take the best offer they can get and move him. But 
they shouldn't be immediately shutting the door on something like that. Um, especially since, you know, as good as Paul Goldschmidt is, first base is a, a position that can be replaced. Maybe Nolan Gorman is better off at first base. Maybe Jordan Walker is better off at first Walker, base. You can, yeah. yep. you can make that you can make that work. But you know, while I don't think that they're ultimately going to entertain offers for Goldschmidt or Arenado. Um, they're going to sell off some pieces. Um, you know, we've mentioned Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson in the outfield. I mean, they should be set up pretty well for this trade deadline. They're one of the few, like, clear sellers. I mean, I guess we could say with not that they won five in a row, maybe they're not quite there yet, but I think they're a pretty clear seller, one of the very few that's legitimately out of contention, but they also have legitimate pieces to trade and they could still contend next year. So I feel like they're positioned as one of the better, better positioned teams that are selling at, at the deadline. So, but as we mentioned, it's very unfamiliar territory. Uh, We don't know how John Mosaic is going to handle it or how well he's going to do his, his reputation has been very good for so long, but it's kind of, been put through the ringer here recently. Um, so I think it's going to be a big test for him to see what he ultimately gets at this deadline. You know, I mean, it, it, Jordan Montgomery, um, Jack Flaherty, Jordan Hicks, I, I mean, I, like the, they've got pieces that they can, if they don't want to do a full on rebuild, if they don't want to talk about trading Paul Goldschmidt, even though I think they should. They've got the pieces with those three, with Montgomery, Flaherty, Hicks, and then you throw in one outfielder, maybe Carlson, maybe O'Neal, to turn that into like a, a kind of a rolling rebuild where you're not taking a huge step back. You still think you can contend in the NL Central and you divert some of that, some of those dollars that that are coming off the books. You know, Adam Wainwright, I didn't love that contract. Right. Um, in the first place, but they take care of their, their legacy players at the back end. And, and that's cool. Like, I think that fosters a culture that makes those veteran players like want to want to finish their careers here. And sometimes that works out. Um, Worked but to, out like, great to last inject. Year. Yeah, sure. Exactly. And I mean, to, to inject the farm system with not that the farm system is bad. It, it's actually pretty interesting, but to inject it with a little bit more, MLB ready talent or even lower level talent. You can do that by trading four guys and hey, maybe you you bring in a veteran starter like they've done the last few deadlines and and hope that hope that you can go actually make some noise. You know, this 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 division, as you well know, Jeff, is is not spoken for yet. I mean, the Brewers are at the top right now, but you know, as part of our job at Rotowire, we're inserting their lineups every every day and night. And every time I insert the Brewers lineup, I'm like, this is this is a division winning team. I know that their pitching has been a lot better lately and Brandon Woodruff's on the way back, but that's a gettable team. The Reds are certainly young and fun, but they have not played well, kind of hit a wall out of the break maybe and and need to start playing a little better. So I don't, they, there's a way that they could do this and keep the business model going where, Hey, we're going to be at least relevant. We're not going to like, sure. Totally tear everything down. Yeah. I, I'd agree with that. You know, and the funny thing is like, okay, you're a seller, but what do you have? That's going to be bring a big return, you know, instead of doing like, okay, well, let's go get another strike uh, pitcher that doesn't get strikeouts. Let's, you know, let's, let's get a, you know, someone that could be an ACE, a playoff starter, 
I mean, you look at that that rotation. That's always been the critique, right? Jack Flaherty isn't that guy on a regular basis. He he's the only guy that I look at that rotation and think someday he could be, or one day he used to be. You know, like Jordan Montgomery is a fine pitcher. Miles Michaelis had a good year last year, but I, I look at them in the playoffs. I'm like, ah, not enough swing and miss for me. And then you know, Wainwright's chasing that 200th win. Matt's can't stay in the rotation. Dakota Hudson, same thing. I, and, and unfortunately, like Libertor hasn't worked out. I, and, and, you know, they just they just don't have that big swing and miss guy at the top of the rotation. Yeah, and Mosaic is that's one other thing he mentioned, too. Like they need to reevaluate how they evaluate pitchers like they had been because their defense had been so good in the, the past few years. They had been fine with signing, you know, fairly middling uh, pitch to contact, quote unquote, pitchers, yeah. and then with their good defense and the shift, you know, I mean, they could get away with that. But now, shift restrictions in place. They're, I mean, you could argue that they're like what at least five years too late on that kind of thinking, which has mm-hmm. kind of been a theme. I think Drew would probably back me up there. Um, maybe they're a little behind in that in that regard, but yeah, I mean, I, I think they need to. The goal would be to target like, you know, a pitcher that's kind of a triple A on the precipice of the majors that hasn't proven proven anything at the majors. I don't know, maybe they've had injury issues or something, but they could potentially be that breakthrough starter. Um, I know Clayton Beater from the Yankees has been mentioned as a possibility. Like he's always had really good stuff. Uh, but has had been held back by injuries. He pitched in the Futures game recently. Really big bat misser, but it doesn't sound like the Yankees are anxious to give him a, a chance for this season, but he could be a guy that could potentially be the breakthrough guy. I mean, they'll have to look to sign over the offseason starters that maybe are a little risky, but if they work out, like maybe like a Frankie Montas coming back from injury is going to be a little cheaper because he's – coming back from that shoulder surgery, but he's also showing, showing the ability to be a top of the rotation talent when right. So they just need to rethink the, the model of what they're doing with their rotation for sure. For sure. And you, you, Drew, you mentioned the NL central earlier, and I almost think that hurts the Cardinals in a way because they're so comfortable playing their own weak division. They've been traditionally better, traditionally had more resources than the other teams in the division. Sometimes the Cubs will spend more, but, uh, you know, the Cubs also kind of have cheap inclinations. Uh, and then you take away now we have a more of a balanced schedule this year. You take away some of these division yep. games, you get to the playoffs, you start playing and, and the playoffs or in, even now in the regular season, you start playing teams that are better built all of a sudden, like, Oh yeah. You know, they've had like very good, you know, in, in the uh, COVID shortened year, obviously they got to play all central division teams in the NL and AL too. I mean, you kind of get this false sense of security that you're a better team than you think you are. Yeah, I liked that schedule a lot where yeah. the Cardinals just played central teams. Um, but but yeah, you're right. I mean, the, their schedule eases up a bit in the second half. There's like less travel. I think Nolan Arenado pointed that out in, at the All-Star game when he was interviewed. Um, he, he still wanted to go for it. Um, but yeah, you don't get to to beat up on the Reds who are not as, as beat upable and, you know, 
the pirates who have fallen off in a big way. And, and even the brewers, like the, every team in this division and the Cubs, they're all, they're all beatable. And the, the Cardinals have done re- that really well down the stretch. They rack up a ton of wins in these interdivisional games and they don't necessarily have that luxury. And it's, it's also harder to make up ground. Like what they're 10 games back right now. We talked before we hopped on, like if they have a, a good next 10 days in the lead up to the trade deadline, or I guess that'd be 12 days. They could possibly be sitting, you know, six, six, five and a half back of of the division, you know, of, of first place in the division right there on August first. So how does that change their thinking? I, Ryan and I have have, have said, and you know, I, I I want them to sell. I, I'd rather them like I'd rather kind of this win streak end, even though I it it's make me it's made me more excited to watch Cardinals baseball. There was a while there, probably at least you know, a handful of weeks where I, I wasn't really tuning into the games to be honest. Cause I know the feeling it just hurt my heart. Yeah. Like, well, I know, you know the I, feeling I, all too well, <laughs> but you know, you have this institutional memory where they've gone on some crazy second half runs. Uh, and th- that's also kind of got to be in the back of the mind that, Oh, well, this is why with the phrase Cardinal devil magic exists as because they've been able to pull this off. Every NL central partisan reds, Cubs, Brewers fans know better. Um, they, they just like, we, you know, they're down. The Cardinals are down, but we still fear them. Um, and that's that's the thing, because we know this sort of thing has happened before, where they've had these incredible turnarounds in their season. And Drew, refresh my memory, but I think it's one playoff series they've won in how many years? Like that goes back to the false sense of security thing. Like, yep. if your goal is just to get into the playoffs, okay, fine. That's a nice goal to have if it's 90 wins and squeaking into the postseason, you know, you're going to get the, the ticket sale money from those however many playoff games. But if you put your team on paper next to the Dodgers, next to the Braves, I mean, is that – I think they – the playoffs are, are a crapshoot to a certain degree. But, I mean, if you put those teams on paper, like it just – it didn't inspire much confidence. And even that 17 game win streak, they squeezed it in the postseason, but then they didn't do anything when they got there. Yeah. And well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, the 2006 and 2011 teams. Those were not great baseball teams, but they won the world series. And so I think Cardinals fans and Cardinals management and ownership has this hope that, all right, just get into the tournament and see what happens. Um, I think as baseball, maybe maybe this is wrong and just kind of revisionist history, but I feel like it's become a little bit more haves and have nots. Um, and you get exposed when you go up against a team that can put three starters out there that can dominate. That, and the Cardinals haven't had that for a while, like going back to probably, you know, the, the Chris Carpenter and, and Adam Wainwright at his peak type of stats. And I don't think those two guys were healthy at the same time in a playoff run at all, maybe. Um, but yeah, they, they, they get exposed by the Dodgers and, and the Phillies and um, Atlanta, you know, yep. the, yeah, those, those, those teams like very easily. And Hey, like any team can win a five game series, but man, you have to have some kind of shutdown pitching and the Cardinals don't have that right now. And uh, they're not going to have it in 2024 unless they go crazy and, and work some kind of, Cardinal devil magic on the trade deadline or, or with some free agent signings that really pan out because I, I love Tink hence. I, he's very important to my heart. 
Um, I hope that he stays healthy and becomes like a dominant pitcher. Gordon Graceffo's interesting. There's not a ton of swing and miss there. They've got some interesting pitching prospects in the pipeline, but I I, I think, yeah, they, they have a lot of work to do with in, on the pitching development side. And, and just in, internal talent evaluation has been really subpar over the last half decade or maybe even the last decade. We got to do a quick uh, commercial note here, but uh, when we come back, I want to kind of go position by position and kind of uh, evaluate some of these uh, some of these individual players. First, uh, we're on the Blue Wire Network. Uh, Blue Wire has been really good host to us, so here are a couple of their ads. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Also, uh, Home Run Index has been a good sponsor for us here, too. So we want to share a little bit with them. We know the weather can impact how far a ball can fly, but we never know what all that heat and humidity or cold air is really doing to the ball. The Home Run Forecast Index gives us an easy way to determine how good or bad the air is for ball flight. The index is calculated by measuring stadium-specific weather conditions and is displayed on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being most unfavorable for good ball flight and 10 being indicating the most favorable air. There's a strong correlation between the index and the number of runs scored per game and the number of home runs hit. Games that have the highest index, 10 for the whole game, average over 10 runs and 2.8 homers over the course of the year. An index is created for each game, so you can see what it will be in any stadium and how the weather's influence might change over the course of the game as well as the wind direction. Right now, you can get access to the HRF Premium site for only $5 a month and see what the index will look like for every hour of every game. Go to homerunforecast.com to sign up right now. Again, that's homerunforecast.com. I'm Jeff Erickson. I'm here with uh, Drew Silva and Ryan Boyer. 
We're talking all things Cardinals on this podcast. Find them a fascinating team. You know, I just, you know, it's weird because I think that the, the, the roster is solid. And uh, you look at it, and there's mm-hmm. a reason why they were kind of projected to win the division. It just hasn't worked out. We're going to kind of go through that roster right now, kind of like litigate, okay, part of the future sh- should be sold off. We'll go in the rotation first. We've been talking about this. Jordan Montgomery, I, I think, you know, he he's had a kind of a really roller coaster year. You know, early on, he was the one reliable Cardinal starter. Then he had a really bad stretch in May. Now he's back to being pretty solid again. 314, 123, does have some swing and miss pretty much the Cardinals ace right now, but is he an ace and you know, are they going to be able to resign him anyhow? Is this a guy that you sh- they should be trading? I think it's definitely a guy they should you be trading. It. I mean, they didn't seem like they ever really got far, if at all, in a, on extension talks during spring training with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that was from the team side or Montgomery side or, or what, but yeah, I mean, he's the timing as well. he, is pitching arguably his best ball of the season right now. He did have to leave a start two starts ago with a hamstring issue, but then he came back Tuesday and, and pitched well. So it looks like he's going to be healthy going into the deadline. Um, I think it makes sense to, to see that they could offer him the draft pick, which I think they would, if they do ultimately hang on to him. Um, but I think they're going to get more, at the deadline than they would potentially with that, what, pick in the 75 to 80 range or whatever mm-hmm. it is. All right, yeah. Drew, I'm going to give you Jack Flaherty. What's your take yeah. on Jack Flaherty? Um, I think he's got a slap tear in his shoulder. <laughs> That's And I, I, it has changed his mechanics. He's been so up and down this year. There, there are starts where he looks like the Jack, well, looks close to the Jack Flaherty that had that, dominant run to finish the 2019 season um but he's got a shoulder issue and we all know as as people that have been writing about baseball and injuries and trying to play doctor for a long time that shoulders are like a ticking time bomb yeah Uh, and i but i think some other team i I think they should trade him is is what i would say and i think some other team would would maybe like dream on what he could be even for the final two months, even as a rental and and then want to extend him at, you know, a pretty team friendly rate because he has durability concerns and because he's been so inconsistent this year and last year and the year before. Um, so I think maybe you could get a decent, you know, may, maybe like a B level prospect for him or a couple C level prospects for him, which wouldn't be a bad thing to inject into this farm system. I, I just, I, I think when it comes down to Jack Flaherty, he's got that slap tear in his shoulder and it doesn't go away without some kind of surgical procedure. Um, and so I, I, I would, I would deal him. I, he's, he's not some, I don't think he, he might accept the qualifying offer. If you made him the qualifying offer, I feel like Montgomery would reject it because he's pitched pretty well in his, you know, time in St. Louis. It's helped with the ballpark. Um, but he's he's going to be looking for over a hundred million dollars, I would think, or you know something approaching that. Maybe he wouldn't reach that, but like seventy five million ish. I don't think Flaherty would have that kind of juice in, in free agency because of the durability concerns. So sure, um, yeah, I, I would I, I would trade Flaherty even maybe more than Montgomery, even though Montgomery could get you a better haul. Uh, Ryan Miles Michaelis signed a two year extension in March, uh, two years, forty million. Um, Still, is he a possibility of a trade prospect, or is this someone that they're just kind of locked into? 
I think they're locked into it. I mean, I don't, Drew, maybe you recall, but I don't, I don't think a no trade clause was part of that extension, but no. even if it was, um, I think he's probably staying put. And unfortunately, while he's a perfectly solid starter, he does kind of fit that MO of a pitch to contact guy. Who's, yeah. You know, you're hoping for a quality start ish level performance, which you know, that's a 450 ERA. Um, yeah, but he's he's perfectly fine as a member of your rotation. I think they're going to be locked into that for a couple more years. But fantasy potential with uh, Miles Michaelis, he's always got that great control. His whip's going to be fine. Um, but I, I don't think he would bring enough on the trade market to to really make that worth worth considering. Speaking of not being able to bring enough on the trade market. Uh... Steven Matz has been a disaster since signing that deal in November 2021. Four years, 44 million. They're pretty much locked into him. They can't even, you know, he, he's starting now, but it's kind of a default start, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he would have that rotation spot unless they just absolutely needed to cover some innings. The same could probably be said for Dakota Hudson. Mm-hmm. Um, Matz at one point this year, like, couldn't throw his curveball. I don't know if he's back to throwing it. I, I haven't been keyed in on his starts recently. Um, but he's got injury issues and I mean, since almost like the, the day they signed him, he's had injury concerns and I, that was another kind of failure on in, in a recent run of failures by John Moselak trying to play like the, the middle game of the free yep. agent market, very risk averse. Um, but all pitchers are risky. And uh, I think the Cardinals have certainly found that out with some of their moves in, in recent years. I'd agree with that. Let's move on to the uh, bullpen because that's where there's probably going to be a lot of action. Uh, Jordan Hicks has been prominently mentioned, a lot of trade rumors. He's the closer for now. Uh, well, Chris Stratton got a save last night. Gallegos is still hanging around. Helsley is still on the IL, but you got to think Hicks is a pretty good trade candidate, right? I think he might actually wind up bringing the most in a trade. I mean, I agree. Um, playoff. Hungry contenders are, are always wanting that lockdown reliever. Um, and Jordan Hicks, for has for as inconsistent as he has been, you know, on the whole the last the last couple of years, I and mean, he has been really really good for a couple of months now. And he's actually thrown strikes, which we're, we're not used to seeing. And in addition to that, you know, fastball that he is known for, which you know, can reach triple digits regularly with a ton of run. He's been throwing a sweeper, and that's become a legitimate out pitch for him. I think it's got over a 50% whiff rate. So, like, he he just looks like a guy who would be a really good fit on a playoff uh, – on in, play, in a playoff bullpen. And I think there will be a lot of teams probably competing for his for his services, and I think that could drive his price up definitely. Giovanni Gallegos had a hideous outing against the Astros the end of June. Since then, he's got like a 123 RA, and his K to walk is back to being super solid again. Uh, overall numbers don't look great because of that Houston outing, but he's kind of back to being the same guy again, right? Yeah, he's been a, a overall since the Cardinals acquired him. That was for Luke Voigt, right? Yep. That was that was the deal with the Yankees, and then Voigt leads the majors in home runs during the COVID year. Um, but I, I think Gallegos could could fetch you something too. He, he in general he's been consistent. You know, relievers are their ERAs get blown up, like you mentioned, Jeff, by 
a handful of bad outings or even one bad outing. Um, if the Cardinals are going to sell, I think they get rid of both Jordan Hicks and Giovanni, Giovanni Gallegos. What that does to the closer role for fantasy, I guess you hope that Helsley w- would be nearing a return at that point. Um, it seems like he's making some kind of progress. Um, other than that, I mean, Henesis Cabrera was DFA'd. I, I, they'd probably just kind of rotate the ninth inning role until they, they find something that works. Um, but it, uh, smart teams, I think, get rid of their relievers who are on expiring contracts or nearing yep. the end of a contract. And um, if the Cardinals want to want to sell, I, I, I think you definitely dangle both Hicks and Gallegos. Yeah, too bad uh, Henesis has begun his exodus because they can't get anything from him for that. So well done. Thank well you, done. thank you. I've been waiting for that all my life. Uh, but uh, there you go. Uh, let's move to the uh, infield. One of my never-ending source of frustrations is like with the Cardinals is trying to figure out who's going to play and where. And you know, Brendan Donovan emerged last year, became a favorite son. Nolan Gorman had a huge run. Now he's he's cooled off. Now, you know, he cooled off after that. Paul DeYoung every year seems like he has one string where he hits like 10 homers in 12 days mm-hmm. and then goes like a month without a homer and starts losing playing time again. Uh, how are they? Ha, help me sort out this infield here. There, can, you know, Goldschmidt and Arenado are going to play every day. What about everybody else? It wouldn't shock me if they actually trade DeYoung. Um, I, I think a team might be willing to grab them for as kind of a, a backup shortstop and potential a little bit of a, some thump off the, off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that would be good for the Cardinals that they, they, they're not going to, he's got two team options. I believe the next two seasons, they're not going to pick either one of those up. So I, in kind of a salary dump, dump move, I think they could wind up, wind up trading him. Tommy Edmonds hurt right now. Um, he'd been playing a lot in the outfield which was kind of bizarre. And he actually looked really good in center field, surprisingly. Um, Nolan Gorman, I don't think he's actually made a start at designated hitter in like six weeks. Like he's been the regular second baseman for for a while. I mean, Edmonds' injury has something to do with that. Brendan Donovan is not able to throw right now. He's been relegated to DH duty for a while. Um, so what does that do for the infield I mean, I would think if they trade one or two outfielders, which it sounds like they're probably going to do, um, you know, Burleson's going to see more time in the outfield, but potentially Edmund could as well. Donovan's also played a lot in the outfield, but if he's coming back from an arm issue, I think they'd probably be more comfortable putting him at second base than in the outfield. Um, do they sell high on Nolan Gorman? Um I think that's probably on the table, but unlikely. Um, he's he's actually heating back up now. He's looked pretty good over the last last couple mm-hmm. weeks. Um, so I think he's they're comfortable with him at second base. He's he's actually last time I checked his defensive metrics, he's actually fairly average this year after not being good at all last year. And I think that that Drew probably back me up here. I test wise, he has looked much better as well. Yeah. So I think they're they're comfortable using him at, at second base for now. Yeah, I think he's looked a lot, Gorman speaking of it, uh, a lot more confident at second base. And he's like turning double plays a lot better, at, which is part of just getting reps at the position, I think. And, and he's gotten those over the last several weeks. Um, th- I think w- what you mentioned, Jeff, like it's kind of a confusing depth chart to figure out sometimes is because they have Tommy Edmond and Brendan Donovan who – who are like two super utility guys right. that, 
that you want in the lineup every day. Um, and you're going to put them in different spots every day and they're capable of handling that, which is awesome. I think one of those two would be on the trade block as well, though, because every team wants a guy like that, right? They're, they're super valuable in real life. And both of them have a little bit of fantasy intrigue, Edmund more with the speed. Um, I, I think they're good. Man, it seems like every player we're talking about on this roster, you could envision the Cardinals trading a lot of these guys if, if they want to be really aggressive and, and do the rebuild thing or, or even a rolling rebuild. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a fascinating next 12 days in St. Louis. For sure. And you know, Mason Wynn might be ready by next year. So, I mean, that, that's sure. the shortstop of the future. So you, you could, if there's some trade value there, you got to explore it at the very least. Uh, and that's, you want to talk about like a quick reboot. I mean, you're not really losing much. You, you've, you, you've given up this year, but then you've got a shortstop ready for next year. And of course you'll have to learn the ropes at the big league level. But you know, I, I think that's like a ready-made solution right there. Absolutely. And he's, yeah. he's, yeah, go ahead, Ryan. I, I was just going to say he's the offensive um, production at, at AAA Memphis has been kind of up and down for Mason Wynn, but he's been really good lately. And, you know, just from a fantasy perspective, the, the stolen bases have, have been there pretty consistently. Um, I think his power is coming along. It's, you know, playing at Bush Stadium. I'm not sure how many home runs he's ultimately going to be able to hit, but obviously defense right now is his calling card, and especially that that throwing arm. Um, I think Mosaic was asked uh, the other day about the potential to see Mason win late this season. He kind of basically said, I love the way he's looked, but probably not until next year. Yeah. Um, but I think that depending on what they do, how they address the position over the offseason, I do think that's on the table, him opening with the club next year, uh, particularly with that potential for to recoup a draft pick if you with, with the new rules if he starts on the on the opening day roster. Yep. I, I'd agree with that. Between he and Tink Hence, they have two possible options as far as that goes. So and talking about a you know, Hence might be one of those pitchers that could be a playoff starter someday. Uh, as opposed to some of the guys they have right now. Yeah, and the upside with Hint, with Tinkins is is pretty immense. You know, we mentioned Gordon Crisefo a little earlier. He missed time with a shoulder issue earlier this season. He's pitched really well since coming back, but the strikeouts really haven't been there. Mm-hmm. I do think he has a little more bat missing ability than he's shown at the at Triple A so far this season. Certainly more than a guy like. Michael McGreevy, who's also he's a former first round pick and has pitched pretty well at Memphis this year, but I mean the bat missing ability doesn't miss just, yeah. is just not not there. I mean he's probably a like his ceiling is probably like Aaron Savali. If you're if you're thinking about Michael McGreevy, I think there's might be a little bit more than with there with Gordon Graceffo. I mean he could get an opportunity down the stretch. I think mm-hmm. um, they're probably going to give. Matthew Libertor, another shot in the last couple of months. They almost have to. I mean, if yeah. they trade Montgomery and Flaherty, Wainwright sounds like he's trending in the right direction. They're going to give him another shot in the rotation, but almost by default, Libertor is going to have to get another shot. And I think, I think Grisefo could, could probably get a shot too. Let's turn our attention to the outfield. Speaking of the depth chart confusion, frustration, yeah. uh, you've got Tyler Neal, who we refer to, Lars Newt Barr, Edmund plays out there sometimes. Donovan plays out there sometimes. 
Dylan Carlson, and of course, Jordan Walker playing out of position. Alec Burleson still out there. You've got a lot of different options. And that's like when fantasy wise, it's super frustrating not knowing when your guy's going to be in the lineup. You see Jordan Walker get on a little run. Oh, he gets the day off today. Like, no, just let him play. It's yeah, I don't I don't want to field this question because I have no idea. <laughs> like they, they clearly <laughs> they need to free up the log jam. They probably should have done it over the winter in, yeah. in an effort to get if they love Alec Burleson this much and I kind of get it because he raked righties and lefties. He's just like a really solid hitter who has upside to be even more than a solid hitter. Um, but if you felt that strongly about him, the way they've treated Burleson this year, like, I mean, he was playing almost every day early on hitting second. Um, he's stayed on the major league roster for the most part this year. If you felt that good about him, like, and you, and you knew that you were going to have to move Jordan Walker to the outfield. Like, how do you not explore trade with, of, of a Dylan Carlson. And maybe they did like, maybe this was part of the package that they were going after Sean Murphy. I, I think that was maybe the, uh, the move I, I'm transitioning this conversation to, to the catcher position because I think, I don't know, Wilson Contreras, I think was a, was a panic move, but to give that amount of money to a guy in a panic move. And I don't know why they felt like they had to immediately replace Yadier Molina. You have Yvonne Herrera, who I I've always wanted to see more of Yvonne Herrera. Um, he'll come up for, you know, 10 days at a time and, and you know, get three at-bats or something. I yep. think I think he could be a fine replacement for Yachty on the cheap, and then they could have spent those dollars um, on starting pitching. But, yeah, they, they clearly need to trade at least one outfielder. And, and I would like to see actually Jordan Walker at, at first base. Um, so maybe one outfielder would be fine to clear up the log jam, but I mean, Paul Goldschmidt's going to be there probably through 2024 and maybe they even give him like a, a Adam Wainwright style legacy contract. Not that he's showing that, that kind of downturn that Wainwright was, but I don't know. I'm talking in circles now because the outfield situation is confusing. I think they'll trade Carlson or O'Neill, perhaps both. Ryan, anything to add on the outfield situation there? Yeah, I mean, I think that's Drew pretty much pretty much covered it. I I think there's a good chance they could wind up wind up trading both. I, I would I would view O'Neill as probably the likelier to be traded, even though they, as Drew mentioned earlier, came out and said he's going to be the everyday left fielder when he comes back, which I guess is today. Um, and Carlson is kind of just going to be going to be fighting for scraps. But yeah, Alec Burleson, they're going to give probably another chance to. He's interesting because he makes a lot of contact and it's usually hard contact, but I mean, he's limited defensively. Um, I don't know how Drew feels it, but I, I feel <laughs> I feel worse when a ball is hit to Alec Burleson than I do when it is to hit to Jordan Walker to give you an idea of <laughs> how we it's do a tough their, call. Uh, defensive <laughs> ability. Um, but yeah, it's they have a lot of decisions to make. I mean, we're, we haven't even mentioned Juan Yepes. Like he's yeah. had some interesting ability, but he, he's had a really rough year at, at AAA Memphis. It's been a little bizarre that they've, uh, especially since they've been looking for kind of consistent production from their outfield, that he's never really gotten a chance this year. But I'm um, old enough to remember when he was a trendy draft name la last year. Uh, and yeah. everybody thought, oh, and they got the call, and oh, he hits a homer here, and oh, yeah, we're all excited. But yeah, that, that's kind of crazy. And 
the other the other interesting thing, and I hate to bring it up, but Mosaic even admitted that he's a little gun shy in trading away from this uh, log jam because they've done such a bad mm-hmm. job choosing which outfielders to trade in the past. Uh, it, it's remarkable. Garcia, Rosarena, Lane Thomas, even having an amazing year this year. Yeah, yeah, it's that internal talent evaluation that was was Lane Thomas for John Lester. Was that that deal? Oh, Ryan. Sure was. Yep. Brutal. And, and <laughs> then a Rosarina. Adolis Garcia, they yeah. designated for assignment. That, I think they traded him for cash for the to the Rangers. To be fair, oh, the, well, yeah, the Rangers DFA'd him too. They DFA'd yeah. him too. So, so, it's, yeah, like, uh, the, Ed, it's like it's like Edwin Encarnacion with the Blue Jays. So you know the Blue Jays DFA'd him. The A's claimed him. A's tried to sneak him through waivers. The Jays claimed him back, and then he became the parrot, and it was all, all was well again there. So it's it's wild how sometimes that sequence can happen. Yeah, they have. I mean, the, the Rosarena thing. That's the one that I, I'm really just sad about because. Remember Ryan, he like took that Instagram live video yep. um in, in the clubhouse. And I, I think that's why he was traded. And I, I think probably Schilt wanted him out. Um mm-hmm. and maybe that created some tension between you know the front office and Mike Schilt. That was it's, the last winning playoff series for the Cardinals against the Braves. Remember that? Um and then yep. in two thousand eighteen. Yeah, yeah. Yep. They scored like eleven runs in the first inning of uh, oh, game. Mike Fulton Yes. Fulty no way yeah. you know, everybody's got those decisions, by the way. Kevin Gossman, ace, ex-brave, ex-red. Reds DFA'd him. Uh, oh, yeah, just think about what might have been with, with that. There have just the been time. a lot of them in Cardinal land recently. Yes, They're exactly. stacking up. And then you see the, the two guys in the home run derby like it's, uh, uh, it's against brutal. each other. Yeah, that, that was brutal. Yeah. That was indeed brutal. Um, any other uh, su- suggestions? Anybody? Any other players you want to talk about before we sign off here? I think they here, here's a what if they dangle Wilson Contreras? You know, just uh, just kind of admit that that was maybe a mistake, and and he's played a lot better lately. But yeah, I think we all know what the back end of that contract is going to look like. And some team that really needs another bat and would put him at DH or even you know sprinkle a minute catcher here and there, and you eat some of the money. Like you're not expecting to get a prospect back, but you're just kind of ridding your hands of that thing, like Alan Craig style. Like <laughs> after they signed him to that extension, they got, they got rid of him. That's those are the moves that the Cardinals like of old, and I say of old, but like ten years ago might have made. And I I would like to see them at least try that. I drew. I I texted um, our buddy Patrick Dory. Um, Rotopat handle, but he might be more known yep. by in these in these circles. A couple of days ago, I said they're totally going to trade Contreras and eat forty million. I think I think that's more this off season. I can't imagine that that's they're going to put that thing kind of trade together before the deadline. But yeah, you know, Mosaic the other day I mentioned when he gave that kind of media session, like they asked him about when he when he said he basically that they weren't going to trade Goldschmidt or Arnado. They asked them basically to commit to Wilson Contreras as the catcher moving forward. And he wouldn't do that. Like he How said, that's, he? A, that's a topic best revisited over the off season. And he, Contreras has only started like since Yvonne Herrera has been up, I think Contreras has started like, like two out of the last six games at catcher. Like I, I just, I do think that's something they could consider over the off season and they're going to, like it's just going to look like a. They might consider it a sunk cost, and 
you know, Wilson Contreras, I think, can still hit, but as a DH, that bat is way less exciting. So sure. maybe they will, like Drew said, just kind of wave the white flag and admit defeat and uh, kind of try to pawn him off on someone else. Yeah, everything about that contract's amazing to me. Um, do they not employ scouts? I mean, if, if he was that bad with pitch calling, couldn't scouts have been able to to uh, figure that out? I mean, that contract going bad as it was, and then suggesting he's going to be an outfielder. Like, did anybody for a second believe that was a possibility? I, I mean, it was preposterous on its face. Uh, that that whole sequence was just baffling to me. Yeah, I mean, there. I don't get it. The fact that the Cubs clearly had no interest in giving him a long-term deal probably. And their catcher is David Ross, who's obviously well-known as a defense first catcher. The fact that they were unwilling to give him a long-term deal probably should have told you all you needed to know, but apparently they had some some meeting with Moselak and Marmol had like met with Contreras in Florida and had a long conversation with them. And they, that's been like kind of, mentioned as the moment they're like okay this is our guy we got to get this guy so apparently like a two-hour face-to-face meeting can be worth more than you know 10 years of uh, of of data apparently that's just that's depressing i i also and yeah we can wrap this up but so nolan arnado did not opt out of his deal and then he watches, you know, Manny Machado sign what he signed for. He, he probably left 80 upwards of a hundred million dollars on the table, perhaps by not opting out. And Mosellek, I guess, flew out to Arnado's offseason home in, in California in November to convince him not to opt out. And I, I just wonder what he told Arnado, like that would convince him not to opt out. Like Mosellek said soon after that, hey, we're going to. We're going to open up the payroll, but their payroll is like a million, 1.35 million higher than it was last year. And you can actually like poke holes in that and say it's not even any higher. And relative Um, to the rest of the league, it's, it's, it's grown a lot less. Yeah. So I, I just, I'm confused that that started the whole domino of what was just a very strange off season. There's probably the factor of the Bally sports bankruptcy, that's probably yeah. a factor that it, it's a bit above my head um, how that affects a, a team's payroll. I'm sure it's pretty significant, but I'd have to think with Bill DeWitt and Rob Manfred being so close that the Cardinals are going to be taken care of if, if Bally stops paying their checks as well, like they've done with what the Padres and Diamondbacks. And there's a couple other teams now. I, yeah. I, I think the, the Cardinals will be fine monetarily, but it, it could be, you know, it, it could be like a, $20 million a year hit, even if they go to some different kind of streaming method, but that, that's a conversation for a different day. Indeed it is. Uh, and we'll, we'll have to locate that and we'll watch to see if Mosellox, uh, you know, job security is a, an issue over the off season after what happens here too. So it's good. It's a big trade deadline. It's a big off season. This is probably, you know, you've had some managerial changes. This is probably his last chance to kind of turn things around a little bit there too. And let's be honest again, no losing season since 2007 for crying out loud. I mean, we're, we're t- yeah, it's we're a high standard yeah. to be, uh, be held up to there. So, all right, uh, guys, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, diving in with me. I know, sorry, we kind of ended on the, uh, a sour Wilson Contreras, uh, note there, but, uh, I, I do believe that there's a lot of talent still in the system. It could be legitimate favorites for 2024 to win the division. Anyhow. Um, 
So we'll see how quickly they retool. Uh, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Jeff. Absolutely. Thanks, we got two start starters tomorrow with Todd and Clay. Make sure to tune in for that. We also have a special deal with our free trial right now. You go to rotowire.com slash pod. Get that free two-day free trial. No credit card at all is required. And when you do that, no matter what happens, we're going to donate $1 to Fancy Cares for every free trial. So rotowire.com slash pod. Get that free two-day trial. Uh, and check out everything on Rotowire. Our baseball coverage. You can see all the notes that we do. We our daily lineups. And if you're getting ready for a football draft, you can do that too. Rotowire.com slash pod. Thanks everybody for listening. Have a great day. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.